welcome to the Curator Podcast. This is episode five. again dear listener to the curator podcast i'm your host as ever mark fraser and you're listening to a podcast about passion so this is episode six and it's been a while since i actually recorded myself speaking the last few episodes i kind of did in a one big batch so it's been a while since i've done this so please bear with me on today's episode i've got Stephen from struggle town records now you might know Stephen from being part of the Scottish music scene or you might know Struggle Town Records from releases such as those by Death Is Not Glamorous, Shook Ones and Two Over It. Either way, he's uh, quite an interesting guy, very softly spoken and on this episode we kind of talk a little bit about Struggle Town Records, the inspiration behind it, where it began, the sort of DIY roots, the passion of it really. So yeah, got that coming up. We've got a few tunes that I'm going to play by him. That's going to be great. But first things first, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm talking to you, listener. Why don't know how you're doing? You having an okay week, an okay day? Whatever time of day you're listening to this at, be it the morning, the afternoon, the evening, I hope you're having an okay time and everything is going okay for you. If it's not, then, well, hopefully this can cheer you up. I mean, that's kind of what I want to do. I want to be interesting and enlightening and that's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm being. So that's that's how it's going to go. So just, just deal with it, right? That's the way it is. It's been quite an interesting couple of weeks in terms of trying to get guests for the podcast. Um, I did a few interviews before I actually launched it and I kind of used some old contact. So now that it's out there and people are listening to it, it means that guests, potential guests, can listen to it and are going to want to come on it because why wouldn't you want to come on it? It's, it's good. It's really, really good. So yeah, thanks for checking out. If this is the first episode, then hello. If you've checked it out before and you're checking it out again, thanks for your repeat custom. Uh, I've had a couple of views on iTunes. I've had a few people sign up to the newsletter and you should definitely sign up to the newsletter, by the way. You can get the newsletter over at thecuratorpodcast.com forward slash newsletter. I do send one out every Sunday. It's just basically 10 cool news stories from the past week. And you know, I want to enter in a dialogue, a conversation. The Curator is not just a podcast where I curate the experiences and passions of artists from all walks of life. It's also about curating content, interesting content, diverse content, engaging content that starts a conversation and seeks to keep it going. Anyway, enough about this podcast, enough about me. Let's get into the interview. Bit of a long one, but you know what? I think it's really, really interesting. So yeah, I'm just going to open this interview with a track from a Struggle Town record release. This song's by one of my favourite bands ever, actually, a band called Shook Ones, and they did a split EP with Death Is Not Glamorous, which was released on Struggle Town Records a couple of years ago, and this song is called Thin. I 
So how's it going? Yeah, it's going well. Yeah, yeah. Just finished work. Not too bad. You enjoying work? Yeah, work's fine, man. You know, work. Um, yeah, I've got a pretty chilled out job. Good boss. Can't complain. Cool. Um, that's quite interesting. I was going to ask you a question about that. So let's begin there. Uh, with the label, Struggle Town Records, how's your life balance and work balance? Um, it depends who you talk to. If you talk to me, it's perfect and everything's balanced and I'm not stressed and running about doing everything. If you talk to my wife or anyone else, she'll say that I do far too much and I don't have any time. So, you know, it's it's all a matter of perspective. I'd say, yeah, it's pretty pretty well pretty well balanced. Um, I'm busy a lot of the time with one thing or the other, but I enjoy it all. So, it, yeah, it goes pretty well. So you're not stressing out your head all the time then, no? No, what I tend to do is I tend to let it all mount up to a point where it's a bit of a critical mass and then sort of reassess it and go, oh, I should have dealt with this like three weeks ago, you know. Uh, I think a lot of people tend to work like that, but um, it works It works pretty well. Um, the only things that sort of suffer occasionally are when you neglect to send a particular email or get back to someone, but people are pretty understanding. Like, what we do is exists on a certain level where people aren't... Exp- don't have great expectations of it it's a sort of you know achieve what you can promote the bands as best you can put out good records and everybody sort of sort of goes along and and plays their part in that and is willing to accept when things are a bit a bit later a bit haphazard diy approach i guess so as that as that level would you say as the diy level was that is that how you would kind of the level that you're at oh definitely yeah yeah we're um far from a big label and we're definitely not at this stage where we're signing people up for six album deals or anything like that. So, um, I would I would say DIY definitely defines our approach to everything more out of necessity than almost anything else. Aside from the fact that it's the only way I would ever do it, but there's just it's a not for profit label that we run, so all the money goes straight back into other releases. There's no extra money for like flashy parties or hanging out or you know paying ourselves a wage or anything like that. So. Yeah, everything has to be DIY from, you know, hand folding cassette labels to, you know, doing the artwork to, you know, everything literally standing there and selling people records at shows. That's kind of about as DIY as it goes. Do you ever wish it could be more than that? Like, do you ever think I would like to do this as a, as a full time thing? No, I, I never actually really wanted a job in the music industry at all. Um, it just seemed like a lot of stress for a really small slice of a really, really giant cake, which is just divided up really, really into tiny tiny bits um like i love music i always have it's been a huge part of my life but never ever thought that's the career for me always was into uh, creativity in terms of graphic design and and artwork and stuff like that and um when i had the my dream job of being a skateboard designer dashed for me by a guy that ran a skate shop he, he essentially said you can't that won't happen there's about 15 people that do it in the world and you won't be one of them I was like, okay, I guess I'll do album artwork then. That's kind of, that's the next logical step. So, a lot of faith in you there, man. <laughs> yeah. It, it wasn't me specifically. It was literally just, I think he's right. I think unless you're an avid skater and you're really good at it and you're in with the right crowd, you're never going to get that job just through doing it. And not to discourage anyone who wants to do that, but it is, it's a very niche market, definitely. Um, if you want to do that, you just need to get really, really, really good at graphic design and hopefully someone will notice you. But, Essentially, with me, who has a million things on the go at any one time, I was never going to focus on my artwork enough to to become a skateboard designer. And yeah, to me, the next logical step was to design the next coolest thing or or something just as cool, which is album artwork and stuff like that. So I started doing that. And through that, obviously, you meet people in bands and meet people who 
are interested in releasing records and stuff like that and um that's sort of in a roundabout way how we ended up starting up struggle town that's a good place to start well it was my next question i guess then man um so struggle town started like you just as you just explained sorry uh so but where did like where did the love begin for, for music just generally oh well um i don't know i guess again skateboarding you know punk rock tony hawks too everyone Everyone has to cite that as, as their biggest influence of our generation because that's what got everybody in my area into skateboarding, into punk rock, into hip-hop, into metal, everything. Um, so, you know, just hearing those bands on that kind of thing and, and sending me into record shops, picking up compilations with any band that was on that on it, you know, got me into the Epitaph compilations, Punkorama, Fat Wreck, all that pop-punk, fast-paced stuff like that. Uh, that's kind of where my real passion started but it, I guess it goes further than that my parents were both really into music like my mum and I used to listen to Nirvana and Gun and stuff like that and my dad was really into you know Bruce Springsteen R.E.M. he was in a punk band or a post-punk band in the 80s he worked in 23rd Precinct and stuff like that so there was always amazing music in our house so it was I guess it was always inevitable that I would be interested in good music and I would I had great access to it um so yeah so as a teenager you know, got into the punk and stuff like that and sort of just became obsessed with it. And, and at the time, it was quite tricky to find. It was a very niche thing that there was a, a bunch of people into, but you, you had to find them. And the best way to find them was to go to shows and I would just like scan around the room and look at the T-shirts that people were wearing and go home and download that band and then using things like LimeWire and Kazaa and just anything I could get my hands on and then talk on MSN about pe- what other people were listening to. So... I guess one of the biggest the biggest turning points for me was when I I, re- I found out that I was emo. Um, found that you were emo. I found out. Um, I'd, I'd only recently came out as a mosher because I thought all the girls give you a hug when you're a mosher, but all the neddy girls were a bit terrifying and I didn't really want to hug them. So <laughs> I was like, I'll be a mosher and then I'll get hugs. So that's rad. So watching MTV2 as you do at night and the usual, you know, Slipknot, Limp Bizkit, etc. And you're like, cool. And then there was this song by this band, Jimmy Eat World, who played... Um, bleed american and it just blew me away i was like this is a totally different thing like it's you know so exciting like i really want to go back to school tomorrow and talk about this walked in and i was like did anyone see that song last night that jimmy world song that was amazing every single person was like nah i don't like it you're emo that's ridiculous <laughs> i was like what and they were like it was horrible i was like no way it was so good it was so catchy it was so so exciting and they were just like nah so i was like right i better figure out what this emo thing they're talking about is and sort of follow that up a bit and that gave me a whole nother spectrum of things to become obsessed with. And, you know, everything like post-hardcore bands, you know, like stuff like You Found Glory and Senses Fail and stuff like that, they were the bands that were accessible and, and available and you would find through them. It, it, it's an endless trail, you know, you just sort of, it's like a breadcrumb trail. You find a band and then you find the associated bands and you look you look through the CD sleeve and see the bands they thank and the bands that they're influenced by and stuff like that. And you could be at it for millions of years, but when I was a teenager, that was literally all I was obsessed with. So, yeah, that's kind of the the origin of my my obsession with with like punk music and and DIY and emo and hardcore and stuff like that. I don't think emo was even a thing when I was at school, man. I was just I was just a mosher, and like that was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> well, I mean, I didn't expect to get pigeonholed so suddenly by my newfound crowd that I thought were going to accept me with open arms. But um, I did. I was never really. At the time, I was never really super into the heavier stuff, like Slipknot and Corn and stuff like that. I've found a new appreciation for it, maybe a nostalgic thing now, but... Exact same for me, man. <laughs> at the yeah. time, I was, like, more into, like, punk and stuff like that, and the other guys were just like, nah, man, 
Lip biscuits quality. <laughs> and it's just a bit like, mm, is it though? Seems a bit shit. Because at the time it was like, people call it now the last wave of successful rock bands that could make a massive career out of it. And that's what Limp Biscuit and stuff like that were. So they, I was kind of, I guess, still being punk and being like, nah, that's too big and too polished and too mainstream yeah. for me. I want something a bit more weird and a bit raw. A few more exceptions to that, I guess, like, I don't know, Autobridge and like, bands that. But I think probably Slip Not in Corn and that like the last. You're probably yeah. right. It's like the last bastion of. Oh, for sure. Like yeah. that was the one where you could still kind of pin your hopes on having a huge career, making a fortune, having a big house. You know, Blink One Eight Two, and, and I guess you know Newfound Glory just slightly missed that bus, which mm. is crazy to me to see because I remember being so, like I still love that band because of how important they were to me at the time. But I assumed, and I think everybody assumed when we were teenagers, that Newfound Glory were famous and huge. And I think even now they're still at a sort of... I mean, they're not. No, they're not at all. I still thought they were. No, I don't don't think they are. I think they're at like a mid mid to high level of music, but they still have to tear their ass off and work really hard. And I don't think they have like Travis Barker money. You know what I mean? I don't think they're like MTV Cribs material. I think they'd have just like quite a decent house and stuff like that. So so far, our mess could take you. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So, you know, I guess that was something that kind of I found out recently that really blew my mind because... I just assumed that anyone that was on TV with a pop song or a rock song was huge. You know what I mean? But it, it's not necessarily the case. Like there's Definitely not anymore. Not anymore, no. So that that was... It was a bubble, certainly a bubble for the music industry at that time. And I think, interestingly enough, like I think recently everybody's been sort of trying to find their way back to that and find their way around streaming and, and you know, the new vinyl hype and stuff like that and see if we can try and build something that will build it back up to that again. But I don't know. It's not, it's not really my remit, but it's so interesting to me. It's not, it's not your remit, that's interesting, because I was going to ask you, like, obviously all of that is probably, it sounds like it has kind of led you towards this sort of, well, you've obviously been a huge punk fan for a while, but sort of towards that DIY path, you keep seeing those t-shirts from those people with those bands. Yeah. Like, well, I know who, oh, I know who that band is, you know? Yeah, well, it was that, um, I mean, those those bands were great for, like, referencing bands that they had been into, and, you know, Newfound Glory were constantly talking about H2O and, and punk and hardcore bands, and, like, I, there was a point where it was mostly, I guess what you would call mainstream post-hardcore, where I was, like, really into, like, like I said, Census Fail, Armour for Sleep, I, I guess what was, I don't know, the sort of popular version of emo at the time. Fuck, I've totally forgot about Armour. <laughs> yeah. Holy shit. Yeah, yeah. Like, their first record's so great, but, like, I don't know, I wasn't a big fan of the I like girlfriend at the time that fucking loved their first record, man. <laughs> so <Yeah>. good. <laughs> but um, I, I worked in I worked in Starbucks, and the, the good thing about Starbucks is there's, like, a total multicultural crowd, and I met a guy there from Canada who was over visiting his sister, and he was so obsessed with hardcore and so single-minded about it that, like, he almost, like, forcibly, like, found the band that, we could talk about on the, the first day that he worked there he was like hey man what kind of music are you into and I said oh you know pop punk and like punk and stuff like that and he was like do you like hardcore and I was like I guess man I mean I like H2O I don't know this and that and he was just like so passionate he was like have you heard of a band called Carry On and really weirdly I'd ordered the Newfound Glory record from Bridge Nine and they'd packed it with a sleeve of that Carry On A Life Less Plagued record and I was like well that's trippy that you had mentioned this band that I've never heard of but yeah and I had a couple of other friends who sort of guided me towards various hardcore bands to check out but this guy Cameron who threw an absolute need for friends because uh, he'd been here for so long and just had been out in the sticks and, and he couldn't get a job and stuff like that he, he just was like this guy I'm going to 
teach this guy about hardcore and it was amazing it's like practically like a montage scene from something like Karate Kid where he's like <laughs> writing down the names of bands like Champion and tell me where they're from and like what kind of band they are and like floor punching like just his absolute obsession with it and excitement for it just was like oh my god like I need to get into this I need to understand why this guy loves this so much Fucking Champion man <laughs> holy shit <laughs> yeah exactly and like it, it just led me again back into that amazing realm of like like cool let's discover all this and through that was really where I got that the appreciation for like how hardcore works and how it's a massive global community and how it all runs on a DIY level like um, at almost all points no matter how big the band or how big the label they're constantly like they're all in smaller bands they all support smaller bands they all run their own labels they all do everything by hand they all print their own t-shirts it's all and that just blew me away that there was this sort of subculture that was had been around since the 80s from, you know, Ian McKay, like, putting together records in his house right through to now. And it, it had massive, like, stylistic changes, but just this one, like, core ethos of DIY just burned through the whole thing, and it was so exciting. Like, and I was like, wow, you mean that I could, like, I could just do that? I could just put out a tape and I could just do it and sell it to people? Because even at that point as a record collector or as someone who was constantly consuming music i didn't i still had this sort of like those are record labels and we're you know there was like a separation and uh it was that sort of tapping into that scene and, and my friend's passion for it that really made me realize that you could just start a, start a label and, and put things out but even then i was like nah i'm not gonna do it <laughs> too much hassle so it was a, it was still a couple of years from then before we actually started out releasing re releasing anything but um just having that knowledge of, of sort of DIY and hardcore at that time was just a real eye opener for me, you know. So, what would you? How would you describe the ethos of the label? Like, as it like, how would you describe it when you began it? And we'll, we'll talk about more about their origins in a minute. And what it is now is it the same thing? Well, we started it as a a front, really. It was sort of to uh, disguise the fact that my friends had written and recorded this amazing EP, the Band Wolves at Heart. It was like a pop punk band. And this was their second release and they'd put loads and loads of time and effort and money into it. And I just was like, this is so great. Like, it would be a huge shame if you just released this on CDR or at the time where we people were still doing that. Uh, and 15 people bought it and that was it. I was like, maybe we could like make a fake label. <laughs> I've got, I've had this idea for a while for a thing called Struggle Town. Um, we just put that logo on it and maybe people will think it's cool. And they were like, yeah, sure. And, you know, I was like, I'll put money into it, obviously, if we're going to do it. Like, so, you know, we split it 50-50, the cost for pressing some CDs. But so, I mean, that's an interesting thing to start something that now kind of, I think we're trying to put across this really honest approach. But essentially it was founded on a sort of, let's pull the wool over the music industry's eyes and see if we can get one under the radar. Obviously, it didn't really work that that way, but it did turn into a label, which I think has been... A decent thing for the scene and stuff like that so i guess that's a positive um, arms and legs as they say yeah yeah it, it, it was at first it was terrifying because i thought right we're actually going to release something what if nobody buys it who cares blah 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 i was like right cool however much money we'll put into it split it between us and as soon as we started planning it we sat down in, in my flat and we just chatted about how we were going to do it and sourcing places to do it and i was doing the artwork and and then when we had it in our hands i was just like oh my God, this is the most exciting thing ever. Let's keep doing this. This is amazing. I started to think of various bands that I could either re-release or bands I could get in touch with to like talk about doing other things. But as I'd set it out as a not-for-profit, I was just like, right, that's 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 the basis of it. 
it's not a job because I never wanted a job doing this. It's not designed to, I don't know. It's it's basically to provide a platform for bands who I particularly like or who I think have got something that deserves that extra little push that we either do a release with them or we help them to get shows or we put them on or, you know, because we do monthly showcases and stuff like that as well. And it's just basically a platform that people can come along and maybe they wouldn't necessarily have got a, a record put out or maybe they would. But it's like a sort of a starting point for a lot of things. And also, I think a lot of people have sort of clicked onto that and, and appreciate that and have helped us out by being established artists and willing to put a record out on our label as well. So, but yeah, the, the core... The core value of it is uh, is that DIY, doing it yourself, not expecting anything particularly back for it, just working hard to make sure that it gets the exposure that I think it deserves. So that's kind of struggle time. That's in a nutshell, I guess. Successes you imagined that it would when you started out? 
when it, yeah when i first started out, i had no idea i didn't know what i was doing and i still don't really know what i'm doing but you Does learn anyone know what they're doing no <laughs> but i mean particularly with a record label there are so many and they, they do it a certain way and you just kind of look up to them and emulate them and you go okay well they, i see they're doing pre-orders that seems like a good idea you kind of work out why and you're like right cool so what that does is like it gives people a chance to pick up the record and it gives you a chance to get some of the money back and you kind of just figure out how it works and stuff like that and a lot of the people that do their own labels and, and run similar things, because we're not the first by any stretch of the imagination. We are propped up and part of a gigantic community of like-minded people who have been doing this for years and years and years. And it's amazing because there are a lot of those people are a resource that are more than willing to talk to you and more than willing to help you. And that's encouraging from the get-go. As soon as you... There's Facebook groups for it. There's various things you can email folk and go, hi there, I want to press a record, but I don't even really know where to go. And they'll give you links and they'll tell you the pitfalls and this and that. And you'll learn as you go along. You'll learn about getting masters made and, and you know, you know laying out artwork and all this stuff and, and the things that are important. So um, I kind of lost the thread of what you were saying. Has it achieved everything? That you wanted to achieve. That I wanted to achieve. Out. Yes. A, a million fold. Yeah, yeah, it's been... It's it's gone way further. We've put out records by people that I look up to, that I loved their music before we even considered being a record label. So that's a huge dream. And I think we've done a pretty decent job for the bands that we wanted to represent that were maybe less well-known, smaller. And it's still going and we're not in a giant hole of debt. So that's always, a that's always yeah. that's an encouraging <laughs> thought. You know, I think a lot of people have said to me like, you know, you, you've, you've set something up here that a lot of people have tried to achieve and not a lot of people have. And I'm not sure that that's particularly true, but it's a nice feeling to know that there are people that think that, you know, like, because Glasgow is a great scene for music and stuff like that, but it's really, really diverse. And there's little pockets of people who are really excited about this particular thing and maybe don't go out with that. At the moment, there's like a huge scene for like the heavier hardcore stuff that I'm not super into, but you have to hand it to the people that have put that together because they've built that because it never... It never was big and now it is. There's like three, four hundred people turning up to local shows. So, you know, I would say that about them. I would say you've done something that other people would love to do. You've built up a scene for the music that you're into. So, you know, whilst the shows that we put on have been great successes and had their dips and ups and downs at different times and the records we've released the same, I'd say and overall in general, yeah, I'd say we achieved what we, were, we set out to do and hopefully we can continue to do it. Definitely. Just want to drill down a little. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about Wix. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. In front of that, I guess, um, what, like, what are the biggest setbacks that you've had? And you've been going since 2011, so that's like four years this year. Yeah, yeah. And you guys have done quite a lot in four years. Mm-hmm. But... I've always, I've always lived by the mantra of like you should never judge an other person's story because you don't know what they've been through. Oh yeah, for sure. Okay, you know, to get to where they are. So yeah, successes and setbacks. Like what are the two? I guess not two major ones, but some of the ones which have, you know. Well, I think a common setback that a lot of labels face that we've we've had is is a band that you think right, this band have got a great record. They're a really good band, exciting, but they split up. Like you just get through all the process of you know sending out emails and you've got all the records and you're ready to go and they're like oh we're not a band anymore because this has happened and that's happened a couple of times the biggest one and the biggest it could be considered the biggest setback but it's also probably one of the biggest successes was when we were fortunate enough to put out a split for shook ones and death is not glamorous who are two of the best melodic fast-paced punk bands like it's hard to pigeonhole them because they do they span a bunch of different things but to go back to my friend Cameron like I would never know who Shook Ones were if it wasn't for him once we had cemented our friendship over how obsessed he was with hardcore he was like oh man come and see this band Shook Ones I'm gonna write a zine I'm gonna interview them I was like okay cool never heard of them went along Bob of Punk Rock Grammy of course was putting on the show really quiet show nicest guys you would ever meet sitting chatting to them and just laughing and talking about like being on tour and Right up to this point, I was one of those people that would go to shows and just assumed the bands just were in like a little room in the back by themselves, you know, and you couldn't talk to them and they just did whatever. But here we are sitting in stereo, having a laugh and a few drinks and chatting and, you know, interviewing them and getting cool tour stories and stuff like that. So that's like five years ago. It was like another couple of years before we started up Struggle Town, a year and a half or something. And then me and Nick, who used to be involved, um, he invited me down. This is before... We'd started it as well. He invited me down to Manchester to go and see them play with Title Fight and Basement and stuff like that. So I went and saw them, loved them, they're amazing, got really into their records and stuff like that. And once Nick had got involved in the label and stuff like that, he was like, I'm just going to ask Shook Ones if they want to do a record. And I was just like, why would they want to do a record with us? Like, we've put out like a handful of bands that no one knows. It's not going to happen. And he was like, nope, no harm in asking, man, just ask. So he asked Kelly, who plays guitar and he was up for it. He was stoked on it. He was like, well, actually, we really want to do a split with that band, Death Is Not Glamorous from uh, Norway. And I was like, oh my God, they're amazing as well. So we chatted about it for a long time and uh, they were like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. And then Nick was also friends with the guy from Run For Cover Records, Jeff, who runs that label. And we chatted about that and they were like, yeah, we'll do it as well. Like, we'll do the US end, you do the UK end. And at that moment, like when Nick was like, yeah, they've agreed to do it, I was like, what you said earlier do you not want it to go further i was like not only is it going to go further but it has to like there's no i, I would be doing a disservice to the label if we release this record and then just go oh we're just going to go back to doing bands from glasgow that no one knows so i was like wow this is like a landslide thing this could be make or break so it was exciting um and then time went on and time went on and we had the songs and we went back and forward with the artwork and run for cover had kind of we're making that transition already a really well-known well-established label but they were putting out loads and loads of great lps and building up a roster of like 
a slightly different sounding band like with a sort of fuzzier edge like maybe a bit less pop punk and hardcore and a bit more sort of I don't know grungy and pushing that and just focusing on that I think and the record sort of went by the wayside a wee bit and it's st- the month started to sort of pile up and he started putting out more and more LPs and putting their money into that and it was totally understandable because it was a key point for them and they had to keep that momentum going but it did mean that pretty much by the time the 7 inch came out both Shook Ones and Death Is Not Glamorous had stopped Shook Ones never really put a thing out to say we're not a band anymore but they were all doing different things I think two of them were just, uh, studying for law degrees and one of them had just started up a clothing label and then Death Is Not Glamorous sent us an email saying hi we're not a band anymore we don't know if we ever will be thanks very much but mm-hmm. let's release this record anyway I'm like okay cool so obviously something like that where the the momentum of like tours and and bands playing and being in people's consciousness really really helps a record it's some like if if anyone's listening to this and they want to release a record if you can't do a tour to support it it's probably not worth doing because the amount that you'll shift just out of people being in front of you and going hey man have you got any records you'll you'll sell them so any any time you, you think of a band oh wow they're they're great they're huge it's because they put the work in with tours and stuff like that so it was frustrating because i was so sure that we were on the cusp of something huge and then you know we ended up with the delivery of all these records and loads of people bought them on the pre-order loads of people were excited and that was great but we'd ordered a lot we still have quite a lot <laughs> shook ones look to me to be resurfacing which is exciting but you know so i guess that could sort of count as both you know because that moment at the fr- at first where i was like oh my god this is huge this is like a dream release to the sort of realization after a couple of months that like we were probably going to have a lot of those records for a long time wouldn't change it for the world though because supporting those two bands and being involved in their career in tiny way is is huge absolutely huge so if 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 i can do a twofer then i'll go for it <laughs> well, if that's a twofer that's fair enough it's, uh, <laughs> it's an interesting story as well man i'm i'm, I'm kind of su- i'm getting kind of sucks that happened because that, that could have been a huge thing yeah and uh i fucking love sugar ones as well so. oh they're so good they're 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 the best um like i had pc troubles and i was posting on facebook all frustrated about it and kelly was like dude email me man it's a terrible impression i'm sorry <laughs> uh, and i started emailing him and it was just trippy to me that i was getting you know tech support of kelly from shoot guns when i was like you know obviously the first time i met them we all chatted but at the same time they're a great band and it's like absolutely meant the world that they like they're involved and we're now friends that's great so some of the influences, I guess, not influences, but people you look up to when it comes to the label. Or even, not even just label, but, you know, musically as well, I suppose. Because like, you're in bands, you're in bands as well. Yeah. In Slow Light, so. Absolutely, yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to super plug Slow Light, but, uh, yeah, I'm in a band called yeah. Slow Light. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know, man. I mean, I guess it all kind of strips back, and it's probably a massive cliche, but you've got to look at Ian McKay and his, his attitude. And not just because he set up so many scenes and stuff like that, but just because he did it without trying, really. Like, he, not saying he didn't work, but he never intended to do all that. He just did it the way it made the most sense to him. And I think if you can sort of take that ethos into almost anything you do. Like, I, I read an interview with him recently in a magazine that was like a culture magazine, and he barely talked about music. He talked a wee bit about how uh, Discord House is still there and, like, it's not his house anymore, but he goes in there and works. But it was just his general outlook on life and was like he doesn't really like technology and stuff like that and how it like limits interaction and he's like like go and fucking talk to people and like you know make things happen just being in front of someone is way more likely to make something happen than sending an email you know and it's just that 
that energy and that thing which did spark a huge thing like an absolute like several like wave upon wave of amazing things so anyone that's involved in hardcore will say Ian McKay but Ian McKay definitely um in terms of modern labels looking at like run for cover and stuff like that like they've really like taken the bull by the horns and and they are building something up and the the bands they represent you know they're I think they're fortunate to be involved and I think they're really smart with who they pick and stuff like that people tend to slate things when they change and because they changed from a very pop punk based label to having a bit more of a diverse sound I mean they've even done a hip hop record which is something I would love to do but not necessarily something that I would even know where to begin but yeah so I, th I think those guys and then you know the, the great hardcore labels like Revelation and stuff like that they, they've had their ups and downs through the years of financial troubles and stuff like that but they've remained consistent to the kind of music they wanted to put out and that means a lot so yeah that those things <laughs> those things those things you just said yeah just looking I need head. to stop recapping that's my don't need to stop recapping man it's, <laughs> it's, it's nice to elaborate and then but to sum up yeah I feel like I, I, whenever I talk I feel like I'm writing an essay and I need to like in conclusion what I just said I like it's a good way it's a good way to talk to people I guess like <laughs> yeah because you could just ramble on and it just tails off and people get frustrated if you don't come back and pick up that point so you might as well just end that point and get on to the next Absolutely, one <laughs> um, so uh, having something like Discord I guess that, I guess that DIY ethic means quite a lot to you then oh definitely definitely I mean um, I think with with this sort of thing like I think the, the money involved and stuff like that is can be the biggest problem I think people can really focus on the profits that they can make in the you know it can total sully it for you because I think if, if I was to look at our books or whatever and say, you know, whether we were in profit or not, I would be despondent because, you know, we've never made money, but I think it's exciting that we can self-sustain because I think at the end of the day, if I was skimming that off to go and buy a pizza and try and make that, my, you know, my living and stuff like that, it would get to the point where I would be negative about it because I would be like, this isn't providing enough for me. This is what I want to do. And it's not providing enough that I can live on it. So having a full-time job that's my actual job that I could focus on just takes all that weight off that because it means that as much as a, it's extra work, I just consider it to be like a really great hobby um, and it's really fun. And the, the bottom line for me, and it's weird that I haven't touched on it yet, but the bottom line for me is the people involved. And I think DIY makes it the most about people and less about money and less about sales and less about success. I've met people from all across the world with the same ethos and attitude who will take you in, you know, you can have a drink with them, you can hang out with them, you can eat food with them and whether or not you're in a band or whatever, but if you're involved at all, it's just it's just there and it's, it's really, really easy to to find. Like the, the best example of that is um, my friend Cameron again, who's the whole inspiration mm -hmm. by this. I love that man. But he sent me a record from Toronto just as a Christmas present. Um, he sent a bunch of records, but he sent this one in particular because all the records he sent were hardcore. And there's this one that was like pop punk, a band called Attention. Um, and he included a note saying, oh, I think Nicola will really like this one because my wife's pretty into punk, but not the heavier stuff. So he went out of his way to find one that she would like. <laughs> and I, oh, we were like, this is great. This is really cool. So as you do, you like them on Facebook and then there's a Facebook update saying we're thinking of putting it in a new 7-inch and this is three months into us having a label. 
and I was like, oh, cool, a band that wants to do a record, let's talk to them about it. So I was like, all right, man, we could maybe help you or we could distro it or whatever. And, you know, the singer Glenn adds me on Facebook and we start chatting back and forward. And he was just like, incidentally, I'm going to be in Scotland in about six months. Um, and we're, we're only going to be in Glasgow for like one day. But, you know, hey, we could maybe hang out, have a coffee. And I was like, that sounds ace, man, cool. So he's in Scotland visiting his, his now wife's gran in Dalry. We got the train in Central Station and was like, oh, hey, man. And he was like, all right, what you up to? I was like, well, it's actually my birthday party tonight. You should totally come. Mm-hmm. And he was just like, what? Um, like, we've literally only met each other for like two minutes. I was like, I know, but like, it's, it's, it's a big opportunity. Just come, man, it'll be cool. So they went back to the hotel and got left their stuff and came came and hung out. And we hung out that night and then massive hangover hanging around in Glasgow and, and chilling. And we just found that we were like really, really similar people and got into really similar stuff. And then uh, this could be a really long story, but we ended up in, in Toronto and it was his birthday and we went out to his favourite bar with his friends, stayed at his house. And that's just all through me sending an email saying, yo, we could help you with that seven inch. And all his friends were like, oh man, I can't believe you've put out attention records in the UK. That means so much to us and blah, blah, blah. And now they have an LP and we're going to help them release it. And hopefully they'll get a Euro tour and it'll just be amazing. But this is, you know, years and years and years and years of like, time going by and sort of keeping in touch and keeping it going and being like do you still want to do this record and being like yeah man you're like the fuck you guys are the best you know so it's all about the people and like we have friends in france we have friends in singapore we have you know people that have the same attitude and the same mindset of just like we want to play music we want to make music we want to support music we want to spread it around you know there's most of them happen to be punk bands but we don't just release punk bands, there's indie bands, there's emo bands, there's loads and loads that all have that same attitude. And I think that's the underlying thing is that the people to me are the most interesting. The community. The, the community, community yeah. and the people and the music is the thing that holds it all together and the thing that makes people bother to come out is the fact that there's going to be bands playing and you can hang out with them and stuff like that as opposed to when there's a band that makes amazing music but then you just don't connect with them on a, on a real personal level and I've been fortunate enough that every single band that we've dealt with has been super lovely super respectful super happy to be involved and we've never ever had anyone that's been like bratty or you know sort of self-indulgent or whatever kind of like absolutely lovely and i think that's essential absolutely essential so one thing i was going to ask you <laughs> is uh struggle town is a very distinctive design ethos i would say yeah and you're a graphic designer like is that I, I presume that's quite important to you to have that but what i was wondering is is that also inspired by this whole Discord thing? Or was that just a, a sort of separate decision that you made? Um, like I mentioned earlier on, like I'd, even though I was involved in graphic design, I didn't know what I was doing when it came to record designing record sleeves or whatever, or designing posters. Or I just had to look at what was around and what was interesting to me. And posters and flyers and record sleeves have been one of my biggest sources of inspiration for the whole time. But I think it takes on takes in everything like every record you've ever seen that you think is cool you i want to like emulate that um and i think um even before we started before i started up the label when i was doing graphics for bands i saw saw it as a sort of collaboration because at the end of the day like if someone picks up that t-shirt or whatever that's their outward like oh i support this band and a lot of people think that they they, i don't know those things just come from nowhere but you kind of have to like you have to figure it out and, and make make something that makes sense for that band or like works for that band. And sometimes I'll have like a really strong idea and be like, oh man, like that would be so so sick for that band. And they just don't, they're not into it. It doesn't work for them. 
but in your head you're like that's the perfect t-shirt or the the perfect the perfect sleeve for them so it's it's like you know it works on a collaborative level and i think with the design ethos of struggle town i think the bottom line is blue and yellow like don't know why just became a thing i designed the logo in blue and yellow and then just loved it have to everything has to be blue and yellow um I mean, not not all the sleeves and stuff like that, but as as much as we can, um, to try and create a sort of brand, I guess. Um, and then with like the shows at Block, we had a sort of Godzilla slash horror movie slash big monster theme, just because of the struggle thing, and having it trying some sort of sense of danger or some sort of sense of fear, um, and yeah, with with each sort of sleeve or whatever, because I. I feel like it's a bit of a, a bonus that I, I get to do that. And I think sometimes people come across and go, oh, hey, man, would you like to put out a record? And, you know, oh, yeah, I'm into it. And they'll be like, I can also do your record sleeve. And they'll be like, wow, you, you do that as well? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's kind of part of what we do. And they're just like, oh, that's amazing, man. We had no idea who was going to do it and stuff. So that's really cool to get to do that. And, um, yeah, like, I've been a record collector for a while and the excitement of, like, getting into that kind of stuff and seeing like how it's put together and you know with punk and hardcore stuff it's got a very clear look something really stands out when you pick up a record and it's a punk band and it doesn't look like a punk band and I think you got to take on those rules and sort of twist them a wee bit and stuff like that um graphics is the, the my career and I guess that's what I'm gonna stick to so um I want I want to be diverse and I want to be able to pick up and do the various things with various people, so I don't pigeonhole pigeonhole myself too much with that kind of thing. So, um, my influences are diverse, and I think it sort of comes across. That's, that's cool. That's pretty much answered that question entirely. <laughs> <laughs> um, so obviously you've you're the man in charge, I guess, of the whole thing. You're the brains behind the operation. Uh, what's been your favourite record to put out so far? See, that's kind of like choosing a child. That's pretty difficult. Um. Doesn't even, had, doesn't even necessarily <laughs> need to be musically, but like emotionally, I guess is probably, and just as an, an important part of that question as anything else, I think. Yeah, I guess um, I had a really, really good time putting out the Into It, Over It and Great Albatross split record because um, when we met Evan from Into It, Over It, he was just touring himself with an acoustic guitar and um, he was just the loveliest guy. We had him play at Block and everybody would not stop talking. And like he was getting really frustrated because he was having to sing all his louder songs and his throat was going. And I had to, I was actually going around shushing people and trying to get them to calm down. And it, I love Block; it's a great venue, but it's not a great venue for acoustic bands because it's a pub and people go in there just for food and a chat. So you're not going to get that nice, respectful silence that you get in other venues when there's acoustic bands playing. But anyway, you know, <laughs> that was another one that Nick was just like, "Oh yeah, let's just put on into over at least playing." Like I'll just email him and we'll do that. And I was like you can't just do that so fortunately he did and we chatted to him and then again Nick was like we should ask him to do a record let's ask him to do a record and he'd played at the captain's rest with the great albatross and me being all cool and stuff I was just like sitting upstairs eating my food when the great albatross were playing like Ugh, I won't even go down the stairs and then Evan was just like have you met Wesley he's amazing like his music's so good you should put out his records he's so good and I was just like, oh, hey, man. And he was just like this really friendly guy. And like we got to chatting about various things and stuff like that. And I eventually checked out his old band, Boris Smile, and like the few things that Great Albatross had put out. And Nick sent an email to, to Evan like, 
do you want to do a record? And he was like, yeah, I could do like a B-Sides seven inch or something. And then he was like, what about we do it as a split with it with Wesley? And I was like, cool, yeah, that sounds great. Um, so we just sort of worked on that and um, we decided to do it as a picture disc, which turned out to be probably a terrible idea because we probably would have sold out of it like within five minutes if it wasn't a picture disc because people are really weird about them. Didn't know how weird they were at the time, but I guess people really stick to their guns about hating picture discs. But we sold loads, and obviously, because it's an amazing record and it's got, you know, Evan's songs and Wesley's song on it. Um, and we got our friend Christina to give us some of the photos she'd taken, which are aerial views of Iceland, which is a sort of personal touch for me because my brother and his family had just moved over there. So it was quite exciting to, like, get these beautiful-looking discs with these amazing photos and these fantastic records. So I guess it was like that was quite a big emotional feeling when you're kind of like... Oh, this is another big record to work on. It actually ended up coming out before the Shook Ones record, so as much as it went into motion after it, that was the biggest record we'd released at that time. And it probably still is to an extent, but um, it, it's, it definitely put us on the map as well. I mean, 90% of the people that ordered that in the pre-order were American, so there's now a bunch of American kids with like Struggle Town stickers and Struggle Town records in their collection, which is huge. And then, you know, we had people getting in touch and being like, oh, have you got test presses and all that stuff and all that stuff that American record collectors do. So, you know, it put us, put us on their map a wee bit and led to led to other things. Like, definitely led to us working with Koji, which is one of our more recent records. And I think that was a, a big deal. Um, that and the, the Wolves at Heart split with Last Call was big as well. I won't go into the massive story of that, but... Um, Maybe the, maybe I should just put out records that don't have massive stories behind them because that would be quicker. But um, what's the fun? <laughs> like? Essentially, it was the same situation. Moves at heart. I put a ton of time and effort into their their songs, and I thought they were great. And I, they wanted to put it out on seven inch, and I thought the best exposure for this would be a split. We need another band. We asked a bunch of bands, and, and they were all like, "Oh, we don't have any new material, or we're, you know, we would love to do it, but we can't afford to go in and record." And then I just sort of reached out to this band, Last Call, who had put out their album Dog Gears, and they were doing it all themselves they're from las vegas working really really hard and i was like well i mean what have i got to lose i'll just go hey basically here's the deal we will do it all all we want is some of your mu some of your music to put on it and then it turned into an even better situation where they went nah that's great we want to do a record we'll go and record it we'll put half in you know we'll, we'll distro it over here we've got our own own label and just turn out to be the nicest people who do great music and have exactly the same attitude so it's such a gamble to just email a random band out of the blue and say hey do you want to be a split but it worked so well and um because it was moves at heart which is our first band and like it was the first time a, a lot of the first releases we just sort of chipped in and gave people our logo and they'd sent us some which was really nice but that was the first one we worked together where you know it was as much as as another label and you know it was 50 50 and properly like on, on vinyl anyway and it was just really exciting to get to be involved in that whole process and finally get the records and do a release show and do it all that that way, which was really fun. I really, really, really want to see Last Call and hang out and like meet those guys because like it's all been remote and <laughs> transatlantic chat. Um, and they deserve to do really well because they're amazing. So check them out. <laughs> I think we could probably wrap up. Um, <laughs> cool. Is there anything else you want to say? Anything at all? Oh, uh, <laughs> no, just... Um, a, the support of all the people around me, like my wife and Nicola and, and my cats and my family, my friends and people that come to shows and buy records and stuff like that is the only reason that this is a thing. And if, you know, people stopped 
turning up and buying stuff then I wouldn't be able to do it anymore so I appreciate it so much and um, it will continue as long as there are people there to buy it and want want it to continue so yeah thanks very much for interviewing me it's an no, absolute it's a, pleasure a, it's been a total pleasure man I've enjoyed it thank you very much Ace. so there you have it that was quite a long interview I hope you liked it I really enjoyed speaking to Stephen he's a really nice guy and he's got a lot to say about punk and hardcore and the whole DIY ethos which I find quite engaging because that's the kind of thing that I'm into you know so I guess I'm still always going to be a punk at heart regardless of what happens so yeah thanks for listening we'll be back next week with another episode please rate us and review us on iTunes sign up to the newsletter um, you can check you can get both of those on www.thecuratorpodcast.com and bookmark that shit also on SoundCloud at The Curator Pod if you want to get it on there and you can also find us on Stitcher and stuff too um, please hit me up on Facebook or on Twitter on Facebook it's The Curator Podcast and on Twitter it's The Curator Pod so please please check that out give us a like give us a follow I'd really appreciate that so yeah thanks very much for listening again I say that again thanks very much for listening it's been a pleasure I hope you're enjoying the podcasting journey I know that I certainly am which is good so I'm going to play you out now with a song from The Sinking Feeling. They're kind of an emo band from Glasgow. So yeah, this is called Not Now. Thank you very much. Until next time. Cause I'm alright